Okay. Can you say something? I'm just gonna chew. Okay. You know I love it when you chew on the podcast. I know you do. You probably love it as much as I love it when you type. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Drunk Fans. Uh, Gab, what are you drinking? Um, <clears throat> I am drinking Angry Orchard. Um, their new one called Elderflower, oh. which um, is pretty good. It says it's... Uh, uh, this flower complements the crisp apple flavor, resulting in a balanced sweetness that brings the fruit and the flower together. It's pretty good. It has the flavors of lychee, pears, and citrus. It brings the fruit and the flower together. I wish someone it's appropriate would... for today. I wish someone would bring my fruit together with a flower. Anyway, I am drinking Yingling Black and Tan. Oh, what are you drinking? I just told you, I am drinking Yingling Black and Tan. It's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm really liking all the things that Yingling has to offer. What's the big news this week, Gab? What's the haps? What's the 911? Um, today, Oregon, uh, a federal judge had to slap Oregon's wrist and say, no, you should allow gays to marry. So I'm dealing with that in my everyday life. Um, in the soccer world, what's the big news? Oh, in the soccer world. Um, the U.S. Women's National Team has a new head coach. It was announced via Instagram um, because that's the classiest way to announce uh, when the number one ranking team in the world uh, gets a brand new head coach um, is to put her mugshot up on Instagram. Every so thank you for that, U.S. Soccer. Thanks, Aaron Heifetz. But everyone knows the best way to make an announcement is via Snapchat. Let's be real. A message that self-deletes after 10 seconds, that would have been also in keeping in line with um, the value and care that U.S. soccer apparently has for its women's team. Do you, do you, think, do you think she has the guts, though, to, to win the World Cup? Because she's been saying, like... You know, second place isn't an option. She's she's been pretty adamant that she was brought in to win. I think any coach is brought in to win. I guess some coaches are brought in more for development or to hit a milestone than to win. And for us, it's either win or go home. I don't are we know. gonna ship her back to England? <laughs> uh, if she doesn't win, I mean, Joel is she never won a national championship. Correct. With any of the college teams she coached. She's gotten to... Most notably UCLA. Yeah. She's gotten to Final Fours and stuff. She's no Erica Walsh. No. <laughs> Were you rooting for Erica Walsh? No, she wasn't. I didn't even think she was... No, she's she, on the radar anymore. She wasn't in the running. Um, yeah. I mean, I would love her steel blue eyes to be coaching the team. Yes. But... The, so the interviews and stuff post hiring announcement, I think especially when like a Foudy written article for ESPNW was that Jill Ellis is a players manager. They nobody right, nobody had anything Tom to Cermani say. Walks you know the company line. Yeah, nobody had anything to say about her. To the investors. 
Nobody had anything to say about her tactically that I saw. Like in the big publications, they were just like, she's a player's manager. The players love and respect her. And I'm like, what was Tom Sermani doing wrong then? He wasn't kissing the right ass. Maybe. Maybe. He did he didn't realize who actually signed his paycheck. <laughs> he thought he was there to bring in the best possible talent, no matter how young or uncapped they are? Yes. Okay, sure. That could have been his I'm point. just, I'm just really intrigued to see how she handles these French friendlies. Um, Jill and her wonky, still kind of English, but not really sort of American accent. I think we're going to get a lot more UCLA players um, in the World Cup than we might have otherwise. You think Lindsay Tarpley will come back? Yeah, yeah, she's going to come back post-baby not having played in, like, five years. It's been less than five years, right? She hurt herself in quals for the 2011 Olympic uh, World Cup, yes? Yeah, you're right. It has been three and a half. Something like that. Yeah, she did her ACL. Ugh, that was rough. Yeah. Um, no, but I I mean, we have Sam Mewis. We have... Up and come. Um, and she got, I mean, she, she showed well. Uh-huh. Um, it'll be a ch- she won't have a, she won't have a lot of opportunity to call in brand new people. She she doesn't she doesn't really have an opportun- a lot of opportunity between now and and uh uh qualifiers. No, but the <clears> thing is, is she has France and then she's going to have like two more two more sets of friendlies. Yeah, but the thing is she doesn't have to. Tom already called in a lot of new people for her that she needs to be looking at like Morgan Bryan and etc. Yeah. I hope she's paying attention. I mean, she is like a youth developer person for u.s soccer yeah she's been in the youth system for a while so we'll see we'll see i'm not sold on her but you know neither am i i was i was sold on tom i'm a tom i'm a tomer yeah i i i was a sermani loyalist i was sermani loyalist i like that yeah i um when he replaced pia i just had this feeling of rightness you know like yes you know Mm mm-hmm and then when he was gone, oh god, when he left, nobody saw it coming. Nobody expects nobody. the Spanish Inquisition. So, you know, I I went just wiped the floor with France. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really sad I won't be going to either of those two games. Um, but, you know, the East Coast is really far away. And uh, I'm not going to those. I'm not going to qualifiers if they're on the East Coast. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, on a break from U.S. soccer. I'm not sure I'm going to the France game either in Connecticut. Well, because you have your breakers. Yeah, I have the breakers, and I think it was a really fucked up thing to do for U.S. soccer to schedule a game on the same night as the breakers because people people in the Boston area who are considering going to a breakers game are exactly the sort of people who would go to the U.S.-France game, so U.S. soccer is definitely poaching their own audience off their off their league that they supposedly support. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was a dick move. Well, you know, so is uh, posting a photo announcing. What 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 I loved about uh, what Heifetz did with the uh, whole Instagram thing is he posted the link to the article inside of Instagram. So you had to be on Twitter or Instagram to get the direct link to go 
to the U.S. Soccer website. Granted, you could also just go straight to soccer and, and see it splashed on the front page. But I, I really I really thought that was classy um, to do it that way. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to Jill Ellis, you know, being in a in a press conference with all the major news organizations, um, you know, answering and and her for her to be answering her own questions. Um, I, I think that'll be I think that'll be really fantastic for it to be, you know, on TV or YouTube or something. Wait, answering her own questions? How do you mean? Um, like for her to be speaking for herself. I just couldn't believe it dropped on Instagram first. They tried to argue like, yeah, it was on Instagram, but that was just a nice little bonus. We had a you know, press call afterwards and an actual release and I'm like, but that's not what it looks like. It looks like you chose to announce this on Instagram. And when in terms of media, literally, looks are everything. Absolutely. So. A absolutely. They would never have announced Jurgen Klinsmann on Instagram. Fuck no. Oh, that's that's because you know nobody knows how to pronounce his name. They have to do it in a press conference so people can learn how to pronounce his name. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's, you know, a man and Jill Ellis is a woman. You don't think people would be able to look at Jurgen Klinsmann's name and go Jurgen Klinsmann instead of like Jurgen Klinsmann? That's how I pronounce it all the time. Jurgen. Jurgen. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Jurgen. Jurgen off over there. <laughs> yes, quit, quit Jurgen off, U.S. Soccer. Quit Jurgen off. It's just, I think it's just symptomatic of the disregard U.S. Soccer has for its women's team. I'm not saying they don't care. But I'm saying they don't care about their women's team as much as their men's team. Despite their women's team arguably arguably bringing them more prestige. More prestige, but who's bringing in the paycheck? The money. Mm. Exactly. Like, uh, the men's team, hey, guess what? They sell out any stadium that they want to play in in the U.S. And the women's team struggles to bring in 25,000 fans. I mean, I think that's fair. That's a fair argument to make. You go where your biggest earner is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but you know, the the the, the opposite, the 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 counter argument here is okay. Well, how much are we paying Jurgen versus how much are we pay, paying Jill? Isn't Jurgen making like two, three million dollars or something? Yeah, I think he's and making then... like one one and a half million a year, and then he gets bonuses for like every step up the FIFA ladder he climbs. And then if Jill is on par with Tom or Pia, she'll get two fifty grand if she's lucky. Yeah. I think Pia Pia was getting like two seventy one or something like that. Mm -hmm. Plus bonuses, incentives. Yeah, like plus that. bonuses. But still, I mean two seventy one to coach to deal with all the bullshit she has to deal with. Yeah, compared or to how Jill has to deal with, like, who knows how much Tom was making? But don't you? I think that's cyclical, though. Like, the women's team doesn't earn as much, so we won't put as much money or time into them. So they don't develop as much, which means they're not going to earn as much. So we won't put as much money and time into them. I see what you're saying, and I feel like that's not a unique situation. No, I think it's not a unique situation in any women's or underfunded program. It's like, well, if we don't see results, then you're not going to get funding. But without funding, we can't get results. Well, the the thing the thing is is you need to define what those results should be. Well, I think because U.S. U.S. Soccer maybe hasn't done a good 
job of that. Um, if the results yeah. are to stay number, be number one, stay number one. Hey, guess what? They've done that for years. But if the result, if 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 the results U.S. Soccer is looking for is we want to sell out stadiums. Hey, guess what? U.S. Soccer pick better teams and pick better venues, and pick better dates, and pick better dates. Pick better dates and pick better broadcast <laughs> deals. Yeah, it's just it's it's this really weird situation where like if you think of u.s soccer as two corporations and or like one corporation that owns two different brands they're putting a a shit ton of effort into the brand that is going to you know be in the spotlight the most over the next 12 months let's which is great but it's not a brand that necessarily performs at the same level as the one that is a better product yeah, I think but that, they yeah. still they're so focused on people are going to love this citrus flavored blah, 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 that never really takes off the way they think it will. But they're not really and they put a lot of R&D into it and like all this other stuff. And on paper, it should be really, really good. But then you hear all the arguments that like the U.S. men's team just can't isn't quite there isn't quite at the level to be able to compete with the germany's with the with the france with the spain with with all of these different teams Mm -hmm. and there's a lot tied into that too not just funding but like soccer culture in america and finding talent from the youth level and the youth pipeline blah 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 but yeah at the end of the day there's a really strong correlation between strong funding strong program because the united states women I think they're the most well-funded women's program in the world. Oh, absolutely. They're not in Kickstarters for each other. Yeah. And we've seen how, because the United States kind of got in on the ground floor, and even in the beginning, they didn't really give the women shit, but they gave them more maybe than other women's programs. Hey, they at least gave them soccer balls. Yeah, and uniforms that they had to alter themselves by hand, but whatever. Um, God, those things, those things were awesome. When they could, like, two people could fit inside of one. So vintage. So fetch. So fetch. And, yeah, so we've seen how that's resulted in early and continued dominance. I think the women's team in some years will get as much as, like, nine, ten million a year in expenses. And when you compare that to, say, like, Canada, which could which could only dream of nine million in expenses in a, in a fiscal year. So, yeah. Um, because money provides for training and enables athletes to not have get second jobs. Once again, I'm going back to Canada. A lot of the athletes have to apply to this thing called CanFund, which basically they apply and say, like, I'm a I'm a top level athlete. I need to be funded by this charity in order to compete as an athlete for a year without getting a a second job. You don't see that right. happening with our national team because they have a CBA. I'm not sure about the Canadians if they have a CBA. But the U.S. Women's CBA is pretty good. As we saw with <laughs> Becky Sauerbrunn making a cool, what, <laughs> 270 grand a year? Yeah, yeah. Who who would have thought that, you know, the reporting on the top three athletes or the top three female players was going to be Brune on top? Yeah. I, I didn't think that. Get, get that, that was, money, that Reba. Thing. Get that paper. I was I was actually I mean, really I'm sure, pleased. I'm sure all the players are within like a really small range. Uh-huh. 
Um, or at least all the players who went to the Olympics and, and played, but it's just one of those things where I was like, wait, who? <laughs> it was Brune and Morgan, and I forget who the third one was. The third one was also a surprise. Let's see if we can find it. Report reveals top U.S. soccer employees from February 1st, 2014, uh, April 2012 to March 2013, so that would include the Olympics. Morgan, two hundred eighty-two million. Million? Becky? No, thousand. Or I'm sorry, two hundred eighty-two thousand. Sorry, I'm used to reading financial statements all day, and I have to add the three extra zeros. Um, two hundred eighty-two thousand. Saubrun, Saubrun at two hundred seventy-five thousand, and Rampone at two hundred seventy-three thousand. Oh, that's right. Thousand. Yeah. So you know, really small band there, but essentially you. You look at a situation where all the players who played in the Olympics, nobody falls below $100,000. Uh -huh. um, the same article says that Pia earned uh, $322,000 before stepping down in September 2012. Um, Sermani had just begun coaching by the end of the tax period, so he's not on the list. Jurgen made $2.5 million during that same pay period. Pia made three hundred nine. dollars Robert Bradley's on here. He has $508,000. Because he, like, left his contract early, right? To go coach Egypt. Mike, uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Car uh, Boca, $347,000. Michael Bradley, uh, $345,000. Donovan, 342 and Howard 339 for what fiscal year uh this would be fiscal April 1st 2010 to March 31st 2011 so fiscal year 11 this would have been during the world cup they made 340 350 million dollars or thousand dollars so we're talking anywhere from like 60 to 100 grand more than the women's players Right, and they placed Powell in the World Cup. Let's not talk about it. Whereas, where, but, but no, seriously, like they, they didn't even medal. They didn't, they didn't make it all that far, and they're making fifty percent more. Yeah, whereas our players are expected to get to the finals. Expected anything less than that is a failure. Right. That you, we didn't see any players show up the year that the women went to. Uh, the final. So the World Cup final on the women's side was summer of 2011. So looking at the fiscal year 2012 um, report, we have 21 employees of U.S. soccer um, who do not have reportable compensation. Then we have four employee, five employees who do um, who aren't coaches or anything like that. Then we have Jurgen, Robert Bradley, Pia, and Greg Fike, who's just the staff attorney. Just the staff attorney making, you know, $160,000 a year. But Money, so the Money. year that the U.S. women's national team players uh -huh. went final and lost to Japan, yep. but went to the final. Yep. None of them made more than $160,000 from U.S. soccer. Like, when U.S. Soccer has to write them a paycheck, none of them made... Oh, actually, there was one other person on here, Thomas Rongen. Um, 
and he made 144. So none of the U.S. Women's National Team players made more than $144,000 from U.S. soccer the year that they went to Germany and got second place in the World Cup. Huh. But but the U.S. men's team doesn't even make it that far. Yeah, we we didn't we didn't make it past round of 16. The first knockout so, round. So so the U.S. W- women's national team can go to the final of the World Cup and not even make $140,000 each um, for making it that far. Whereas the U.S. men's team can go to the round of 16, get knocked out by Ghana, and they make $350,000. I mean, probably not each. Uh, the players that we saw on the list, those are some of the bigger name players. So I'd imagine that you know they probably worked out a contract. Um, to be able to get a bonus like that. As far as I know, I don't think the men's side has a CBA. Um, I think they're all individually contracted with U.S. soccer. Uh, but it's just kind of a raw deal, you know? Uh-huh. I think I think the segues, I, I think we're actually already a few steps into our second topic we wanted to talk about tonight. Yeah. Uh, which was gender inequality in soccer. In American women's soccer, anyway. In American in American soccer. Yeah. I, I think everything we've just cited is, is pretty damning evidence. Um, and you can't say that men's and women's soccer are operating on an even playing field because one sport has been, like, continuously operating decades longer than the other, right? So if you view it, once again, as two different brands, to go back to your earlier assessment... If one brand has been present for, you know, 20, 30, 40 more years than the other, which brand do you think is going to be more prevalent or be more recognized and get more time and money? Are you, are you actually asking me? Uh, no, I'm not actually asking you. It was a rhetorical question. Sorry. Well, there was a long pause and I was like, oh shit, is she waiting for me to actually respond yeah. to that? It's the same thing as like in England when they actually banned women's soccer for like the better part of a century and people are like, well, why aren't the women's team as developed as the men's? And I'm like, well, women kind of weren't allowed to play from the 20s till the 70s. So I don't know what to tell you, man. If you start a race... doing the best we can. Yeah, if you're in a race and one person is allowed to run freely and the other one has to like be told to wait until the other person has started the race and then they get to run and at the same time they have to run with shackles on them, it's not a fair race, right? That's what's uh, going... I mean, it, it, it depends on who your audience is. <laughs> That's kinky it of you, It depends the goal of the race. Uh, right? But in general, that's not a fair race. So then the question becomes, well, how... Once you've accepted that the, this is unequal and it's an inequality you want to rectify, how do you go about rectifying it? Do you tell the front runner to wait? until the person behind them is allowed to catch up? Do you just remove the weights from the person behind um, and tell them to start running? Or do you give the person behind a boost? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you... Are you talking about some sort of program that helps people who haven't had access to certain things catch up? Maybe. Maybe I might be talking about people who have been systematically disadvantaged through no fault of their own, having the system make it up to them. Now, it might seem unfair to the people who have had all the advantages in the system until now, but 
I don't think it is. If you get to have, you know, three square meals a day and dessert for, you know, 50 years and somebody else has gotten scraps and then finally the other person makes an argument, well, I should be able to eat every day too, but the system only has so much so they have to divide your meal with theirs and so that means you have to eat a little less so the other person can eat a little more. I think that's fair. That, that sounds fair. It's not exactly analogous to the U.S. soccer situation, though, either, because U.S. soccer doesn't necessarily have a finite amount of resources. They're, they're growing, hopefully, right, as soccer grows in the United States. So as their resources expand, I don't see why they can't be allocating an increasing amount to their women's program. Which, to some extent, they have been. I think you can kind of generally track women's funding generally going up over time over the past 20 years. Yeah, but it's not going up in the same at the same rate as that's, U.S. Yeah. soccer is just spending more in general. Yes, that's true. It's not going up the same rate as they're spending or as the same rate as they're spending on the men's game. Right, which, which, I mean, I guess the argument you just made is uh, could be countered with, well, the men need more resources because they have more that they have to catch up on worldwide, whereas the women just need to kind of maintain a, a consistent standard, high standard, um, but, you know, they're not necessarily trying to catch up uh, the way the men the men are. Um, but we are seeing that the rest of the world is catching up to us rapidly. To the women's game. Yeah. On any given day, France, Germany, Sweden, Japan, maybe even England, maybe, could could beat us. I agree with some of those. Yeah. Some. Um and look <laughs> at look at the Algarve. Like if we have it's it's no longer a case of like even if we have a bad day, we can muddle through. If we have a bad day, other teams now are at the point where they're like, we gotta take advantage of this. Hungry, hungry hippos are way to winning. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like we saw with the Algarve, um, you know, if if U.S. soccer doesn't produce, heads will roll. Uh, but you know, it's it's also it needs to be approached with the realism that um, players are gonna have bad days and players are gonna have off days. And as Abby Wambach has recently told us, um, you know, she can't always be. Uh, one of the best players in the world, she's going to need teammates who can support her and who can support the team and fill in in her stead um, when she's having a, a, a bad day. Um, Carly Lloyd as well is, isn't going to be isn't going to be 100 percent every day all the time. So, you know, uh, other players are going to need to to be able to step in and, and uh, show up. Yeah, it's like show up if you're if you're on a team with Abby Wambach and Carly Lloyd, you better you better show up. It's like that speech your parents give you when you get older, like your your dad and I will not always be here for you, so you're gonna have to learn to take care of yourself. <laughs> the, the Western New York Flash need to figure out a way to take care of themselves because Abby and Abby Abby and Carly are gonna you know uh, they're gonna be gone for extended periods of time. Yeah, Vicky Lasada and, and Adriana um, are like the oldest siblings, and it's like you know what? If we ever we're ever gone, you're in charge. You got to take care of the family. Not even if we're ever gone. If we're ever just decide we don't want to show up, you better show up. <laughs> you know what? I, even though I think those words in, in and of themselves are pretty damning, I try to 
interpret everything in the best possible light just to give people the benefit of a doubt because you know i i'm an asshole and people have interpreted me wrongly so i try not to do it to other people but <laughs> yeah so in the best possible light that's abby like trying to be like you guys you got we got to step up together as a team but take it on its face that was a pretty shitty thing to say well it's 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 interesting right because um so the timbers had a pretty poor well i guess i i haven't seen the whole game yet um so I'm not going to entirely judge, but, but Will Johnson got really mad at the Timbers, the, the captain of the Timbers got really mad at the team, um, really frustrated. It's, it's been a really frustrating season. And uh, he, he kind of said almost, you know, the, the, the same, he sent the same message that Abby did. Um, and, and I, I don't think it's like a new message. It's nothing unique. It's just hey, we we lost in a frustrating way, and I'm the captain, so people are gonna come and ask me my opinion. But he basically was like, "Look, we 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 we," in his statement, we have been making dumb mistakes. We have been doing this. Yeah, there there should never be an I, I, mean, I just... like personal like I me Carly and I are good players, but that should not be coming out of anyone's mouth. Obvious for on the national team. Well, it's like even if it's true, even if you personally put in a good performance, your your team lost anyway. So what does it matter how well you did? Right. It it it, it was it was it was an awkward statement. Um, I uh, Cynthia Hopgood posted the audio of that um, quote today on on Twitter and it's on SoundCloud. And um, you know, I, I didn't think that the tone was all that bad. Um, it's not like it wasn't a Will Johnson tone. He wasn't. You know, Abby wasn't wasn't angry, wasn't upset. She was just kind of like disappointed. She was like, "Look, we're gonna have days where we're just not, you know, this team can't can't be on Carly and I's shoulders. We're not gonna carry us to a championship, the two of us." But she just didn't say it in a very tactful way, and yeah. and it's not like she's brand new to this. No, you know, she's gone through plenty of pressers before, and I don't think they sprang the question on her at the last. Without any warning, she had to have known after losing, people are going to ask about team performance. And it's also not like the Flash are in some kind of losing spiral. They're middle of the table right now. They're like 3-2-1. and one. So yeah, it, it's not like coming to her and she's venting her frustrations with the team. She She's too much of a pro not to have put that more diplomatically. I don't know, maybe something was something else was going on with her that she just blurted out you know something. yeah i it, it would be interesting to you know i'm i'm hope i'm thinking she probably hurt herself and uh apologized to her teammates i'm hoping she did uh or or maybe maybe we're being sexist in this whole approach and saying oh don't be mean abby when you know maybe there are other teams and other other players who do call call each other out by name and and tell each other you know you've got to step up no, it's um, it's not sexist though because I would regard a men's player who did this the same way. Like you don't need to be saying I, I, I and then naming certain players who need to step up. I guess I just don't pay enough attention to teams that aren't um, in my direct circle. Yeah, uh, is, to know if this is maybe a common thing. Even if it is, that's a really gross practice in a team sport. Right? Yeah. I I was just put off. I was just like, ew. Yeah, I don't think it is a common practice. I think a lot of, I think a good 
team leader accepts responsibility for a win or a loss, no matter how well they themselves performed. Because they're, yeah. that's, that's what well, being a leader is. Absolutely. First in, um, last and out. There's also, and and there, there's also better, I mean, I think a leader also um, wants to fix things. So, you know, should be critical and should be saying all of these things, but they also need to not kill morale in the process. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that I was thinking, though. Um, but like, then again, I know, I know nothing about the Western New York Flash. Yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking. We don't know how the team, what the team situation is, morale-wise, or how they as a team respond to criticism. Like, maybe this is the kind of criticism they need. We don't know. If, if, it, if it ends up working, well, then she said exactly what she needed to say. But it just, yeah, it really did not sit well. I hope it doesn't end up working because um, the Thornsey Abbey and the Western New York Clash on Wednesday. <laughs> okay, sure. I I really have nothing. So to I'm say. hoping I'm hoping it wasn't exactly that they what they wanted to hear. Yeah, I have nothing to say about teams and performances at this moment in time. Well, I mean, you can still be critical, and we won't pick on your team. I don't need to be critical because the team members themselves are, are critical enough. I think Cat Whitehall has said some really honest things about, you know, team performance. So I think the Jill Ellis announcement and how it was handled is kind of symptomatic of a larger picture in terms of American women's soccer and how we treat American soccer and how we think of it because it's women playing the soccer. And they're so delicate and gentile. Well, it... It plays into how we market the league itself and how we regard the people who the fans who participate in the league. Well, I mean, we market, you know, I, I can't fault NWSL on marketing to kids um, and to, to parents with families because, hey, guess what? That's four tickets that you sold or four season tickets or, you know, right now it's just a numbers game. Um, but, but I think, I think with as league grows, it's going to realize that um, there's an advantage to also not cater, but at least include adult fans in that conversation because adult fans are the ones who are buying the beer, buying the merch, putting together viewing parties, running and and joining and participating in sports groups and trying to create this atmosphere of game. Um, whereas well, the families, those are, they're looking for, uh, um, using air quotes, family-friendly environments. And, and family-friendly, I think, uh, changes for every city and, and every, every, it's kind of up to, to the culture of city and to define what is, what is family-friendly. I know that's, that's something that we've experienced in Portland, and we've only had two home games this year, and, and it's 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 a it's a, a, a something that we didn't experience last year at all. Um, kind of some feedback about family friendliness of Thorns matches um, has has kind of come to light over the past couple weeks. I know um, when you guys had Seattle in town, a lot of people were appalled by hearing profanity and stuff directed at Seattle. A lot of people were like, oh, won't you think of the children? A lot of it has been hashed to death by now, but I do think it being a, a women's league played some part in that reaction. 
and and it was it was interesting uh, to see the reactions and to see the feedback, and and you know we talked about it a lot over the past couple of weeks, and and it's just one of those things. It's like it's something that happens, um, and it's something that is driven passion um, because hate is is, is passion. Uh, I don't think I actually wanted to jump on the field and anybody to death or or do anything like that. And we actually were fairly – we want to see this league grow, and I think it's going to grow with passion. Um, and it's finding passionate supporters who understand that what we saw with the rain and the thorns was a really good game of soccer. It wasn't one-sided. It wasn't bad officiating. It wasn't uh, divers all over the place. It wasn't something that's controversial. That was a really good game of soccer, and we lost. And it hurt, and we swore for 30 seconds, and then guess what? We stood up and we praised our team. So bring you back to reaction and gender in the league. Yes, yes. I, I told you it was going to be a rant. I think, yeah, some of the consternation is the perception that this league is so much more family-friendly, it's women's soccer, and part of that has to do with the league marketing to kids, and I don't begrudge the league marketing to kids because, yes, at this point it's a numbers game. Kids create tickets and money, and some of them buy, buy merch and stuff, but I don't think they create a sustainable stream of money, right? Well, I mean, they do the long haul. Um, you bring your two kids to the game, like they grow up at the game. Suddenly, they are adults and they buy their own kids and they have their own family, and you create a culture that way. That's the long term. Yeah, game. but the thing is, no women's league has survived long enough for us to see this put into effect. Maybe with like puppies or something. Um, but that leads to my other question too, which is. I don't necessarily know if what I'm saying is true because I don't think we've seen any real hard demo data from year to year. Like, who is buying season tickets, right? And among those season ticket holders, what percentage do we retain from season to season? Yeah, what's what's the the renewal rate um, for season ticket holders, and and what do the general demographics look like? I know that when like I. The Thorns don't know any of my demographic data. They know my name and they know my address. So I guess they could guess, like they might put me on a map somewhere to be like, oh, you know, here we have five people who live in downtown Portland. Um, But they don't know my age, my gender. Um, I think they might know how much I make. Um, That might have been something on there. Well, the, the breakers have none of my demo data. They don't know if I'm a student or a professional. or They might generally know how long I've supported the team just by looking at my name and their, their records and stuff and seeing I, I buy tickets and stuff. But what, what does that mean if they don't have any other dis- descriptive data of me? Age, you know, gender, income, um, where, like what neighborhood I live in. I, I would love to see... Um, team by team because this at this point it's definitely a very like each team has its own market you can't really say league-wide what's going on yet i think each team has by city has has very specific market needs but we can't say so far like what's going on i i would love some team any team to publish demo data and be like 
this is what's going on. Maybe the Houston Dash could do it because they talked about how, you know, what percentage of their season ticket holders were Dynamo season ticket holders, so they might have more demo data. I think. Well, that's... I mean, the, the the Timbers could do that exact same thing. Yeah, it's it's just something that we desperately need so that the league knows what direction to go in. I, I think it's also, yeah, I, I think it's important to know where your strong demographic is That's and true. maybe where you need to be doing more work. Yeah, yeah, it helps you in allocating your marketing resources. If you know that kids only bring in like 20 to 25% of your season tickets and like grown adults in a certain demo bring in 70% of your season tickets, that's a clear indicator of where and how you need to be advertising. Yeah, and, and it's a clear indicator of maybe where your merch should be going. Yep. Um, and at some point, you know, with market research and uh, understanding the return on different marketing efforts, you're going to realize, you know, yeah, kids are a cash cow. Families are a cash cow. Um, and we're not letting up on that anytime soon versus, you know, maybe the college students aren't the way to go because they're not here for a majority of the summer. Um, yeah, they're diehards, but they, they can't support from, you know, when they go home to their parents. One way the league suffers here that it's not really their fault. They don't have the kind of data is because it's so young and WPS also only had three years. Although in those three years, I would hope they would have some demo data so they could at least look at it and see, you know, from year one to year two to year three, what was going on. Because that should be enough to at least kind of get a, a general idea for how things were starting to look. Now in NWSL, we're only a second year. So that's not enough to establish any kind of trend year to year. But at least you can see between year and when, year one and year two who renewed season tickets if you had that kind of demo data. And and who knows? Maybe maybe they do. Um, maybe we just aren't privy because we're just fans. Maybe I'm just going off. Whenever I apply for this stuff, I don't give any demo data, so I don't know how they get the demo data. I I don't I don't know either. Maybe the, maybe our banks are giving them to them. <laughs> I'm not sure that's legal. Well, well, you're you're the lawyer. Do you are you hearing my little cat? I am. Which one is it? It's, I only have one cat, Schmidt. But Schmidt is awesome. I mean, I named him for Sophie Schmidt. Yeah, you did. Because he's kind of dopey and sweet, and he runs into things. <laughs> he falls over without throwing his paws out. It worked out pretty well. So another, in other women's soccer news, uh, we had some more teams qualify for uh, 2015 Canada, um, Australia, Japan, and what's the situation with this, the three, four, and five? Okay, so 2015, it's up to 24 teams instead of 16 teams competing. So Asia got five slots. So uh Australia, Japan qualified, so did China and South Korea, and we're now just waiting for the fifth team to come out of the Asian Cup. And we won't get European teams qualified until later this summer. Yep. There's CONCACAF some... isn't until October. Yeah. Ooh, it's been moved to the U.S., though. Yeah, it has been. I... So, the way Sunil Galati put it was that the Mexican Confederation was like... They had venue issues. It was supposed to be in Cancun. 
but apparently they had venue issues, and so U.S. Soccer stepped in and was like, well, we have venues, blah, blah, blah. But I had uh, a Mexican fan at me on Twitter and say, this is out of the blue. Like, everyone I know was shocked when this news dropped. So, I don't know. I Obviously, Sunil Galati is going to know more about the situation than any soccer fan. I'm just saying I don't necessarily trust that CONCACAF did this all above board, knowing CONCACAF. Right. Right. Uh, well, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, it'll it'll be interesting to to see which cities are getting it, how much effort U.S. Soccer actually puts into it. Yeah. Because um, this is the first uh, international tournament on American soil in a really long time. That's what we get for hosting back to back Women's World Cups in '99 and 2003. Damn it, China. Thanks, SARS. God damn it. Um, so, so I do do have one uh, one question for you from Twitter because um, I put out an Ask Thrace. Uh-huh. A lighter question since we've talked about some fairly uh, serious things tonight. Um, Erin over in Long Beach, California, over in the compound, um, she wants to know your favorite hot sauce. She gave you two options. Uh, tapatio or Kahula. Cholula? Is that Cahula. Is that how it's pronounced? That's how I pronounce it in my horrible Spanish. Okay, uh neither. Really? What yeah. do you like? I'm from Louisiana, Tabasco. Tabasco. Tabasco sauce made on Avery Island, only one place in the world. We nearly lost Tabasco forever after Hurricane Katrina. I'll just have you know. <sighs> the hurricane nearly wiped out the island where it's made. In tense. Yeah. Yeah, all about that Crazy. Tabasco. Yeah. So, buddy, we've we've chatted for a bit tonight. Uh-huh. Uh, next time we'll probably be a little bit more NWSL-centric. Yeah. Uh, do you have an NWSL player of the week? Mm. I'm going to have to go with the birthday girl who scored a brace for the Spirit, who ended up beating Western New York Flash, uh, Taylor. Jody Taylor? I think that's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I concur almost right away. Jody Taylor. And uh and you know what's awesome about this is we are saying our player of the week before the media has a chance to announce their player of the week. Well so I'm... on Monday night, nine PM ours is locked in. Nine PM Pacific time, midnight yeah, Eastern 9 time. Nine PM Pacific time. Okay. I'm just saying people might go by Eastern time more often. Okay. So Tuesday morning, twelve oh six AM Eastern time. Uh we have locked in Jody Taylor. Yeah. Uh we don't know when this is gonna get edited and posted, but definitely Monday night we had Jody Taylor pegged for player of the week. Boom. Congratulations, Jody. Congratulations, your two drunk fans, player of the week. 